I'm Gloria Moraga. This is one-on-one. I'm one-on-one today with Professor Mal Hyman. Glad to join you. And Professor, you teach where and what? Sociology and political science at Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina. How are things in Hartsville? Hartsville is a town of about 7,500 people, pretty sleepy town. We don't uh, follow the uh, ordinances for masking and COVID very well. Unemployment rates run in about 10%, and we are as divided politically as the rest of the nation. Wow. So are you, when you say divided politically, is it predominantly Republican? It is a pretty even split between Democrats and Republicans, and it's... It shows itself with who's wearing a mask. There is a pretty close correlation. Most Republicans do not believe that it's a major problem. They do not believe much in what the scientists have been saying. And they won't wear a mask even in the YMCA. When they're forced to wear a mask going to a supermarket, they will. Uh, So we have uh, a lot of contagion in the state and it's COVID hotspot, uh, as are most places in the rural South. So as a professor, what's your thought on that? It's, uh, do you want to scream? Uh, sure. Yell, and uh, you need to read? Um, I don't know. I want to scream like that. Your first thought is uh, the enlightenment of centuries ago where we'd follow science really hasn't taken hold with almost half the population. There's a cult-like following of Trump uh, who has rejected this, uh, which is... Uh, beyond infuriating, because people not wearing a mask, it's equivalent of drunk driving. But if you say that, people just shut down and that's the end of your conversation. So it's hard to communicate with them. And I see what's going on as, uh, as mass murder. We have uh, about two-thirds as many people have already passed away from the pandemic as died in World War II from the United States. So it still hasn't gotten their attention yet. uh, And it's it's deeply frustrating. No, we passed Vietnam a while back, the number of people who died. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah, very sobering. You're right. Hi, I'm Gloria Moraga. This is One on One. Happy 2021. It's going to be a great year. And of course, this year, a new presidential administration will be sworn into office in just a few weeks. I'm talking with Mal Hyman. He teaches sociology and political science at Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina. COVID is one of the big issues, problems that the new administration, the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration is going to face. How much of a mess is Biden being handed as he becomes president? It's breathtaking. We are uh, not prepared for a transition with distribution on the vaccines. A lot of the public is leery about taking the vaccines. We have a number of people who aren't going to continue to wear masks unless they're forced to. The unemployment rate really doesn't reflect the nature of the problem because so many people have dropped out of the workforce. So officially, the unemployment rate may be five and a half percent, but that doesn't count people that stop looking for work. And it does count people that are working 20 hours a week as fully employed and people working minimum wage. And minimum wage right now means you can live on your mom's couch because you certainly can't afford an apartment or to take care of yourself or yourself and a kid. 
So we have about two-thirds of the country living paycheck to paycheck. And Biden is going to move very quickly, probably, on an infrastructure bill that will get a lot of people back to work, rebuilding our infrastructure, which will be broadly defined. But it'll take a while to get that passed and then have the money in the pipeline to get people those jobs. Uh, Meanwhile, by getting out the COVID relief in such small amounts, uh, we're going to see a lot more businesses go under and a lot more suffering. Yeah, I was reading that the restaurant industry didn't even get the help and support that it needs to continue to exist. But big businesses were getting, uh, you know, tax incentives in the bill. And it's so massive, it hasn't even been read all the way through by uh, a lot of people that uh, watch these things for us. Yeah, 5,500 pages. And the old line is the senators and congresspeople don't read the bill, but the aides do. But when the bills are this big, the aides aren't able to read them either. So goodness knows what was tucked into the 5,500 pages. And what irony that Trump, who never paid any attention to this for months, now all of a sudden wants to grandstand and say that we need $2,000 payments instead of six hundred. dollars uh, when he wasn't worried about that before, nor did he direct Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury, who was doing the negotiating on his behalf with the Senate to act in that, re- in that regard. Right. When he mentioned it, Mnuchin was shocked. He was the last to know. It's like great to be negotiating for the president when the president doesn't tell you what he's going to say after the fact. I think America elected the poster boy for the seven deadly sins, and reality surpasses satire. Stephen Colbert can't keep up with this. I think Biden is a steady and experienced politician Mm -hmm. who has good instincts, Mm -hmm. who understands what we'll need to do to get people employed. But it's going to take a while. And and Democrats may not control the Senate. And Mitch McConnell has not shown any great empathy to the working class. We'll wait and see what happens in Georgia. And then I think there's a chance for a lot of change, but it may be a lot slower than folks think. How important is Georgia for Biden and a chance to do some of the things that he knows he wants to do? I mean, what if we get stuck with the two Republicans or even one Republican? Right. One Republican would leave the Senate in Republican hands. Right. So there won't be a a lot of traction on legislation. It would be a modern day, a 2021 miracle if the two Democrats won. Slightly more sanguine, here's my take on it. From South Carolina these days, transplanted Californian, Georgia's close by. They've been doing a lot of voter registration. They have really worked hard, had a lot of resources, and have registered over a million new Democrats, which has made Georgia shift from being pretty much a red state to a purple state. And they are in play. And From good friends of mine in Georgia, we are registering a lot more Democrats than they're registering Republicans since the national election. So polls are showing that Ossoff is very close within a percent uh, of Purdue. Warnock uh, is about a percent ahead of Leffler. So I I think Dems have a chance to win the two seats. Uh, Things still can be slowed in the Senate. But not as much. Right. Uh, So I think what they'll come out with first is an infrastructure bill. 
which will include not just roads, bridges, dams, sewer systems, a massive expenditure on the national electrical grid to make it safer from cyber attacks and to bring solar and wind power from the rural areas into the cities in an efficient way. They'll rebuild the public schools. They'll spend money on public housing because the wait on public housing in big cities is about five years. So our public housing stock has deteriorated as well. All that's going to create millions of jobs. If Mitch McConnell wants to slow it down, we'll get the skinny version of infrastructure. You know, if Democrats are in control, we could get a more robust bill and uh, put millions of people back to work doing that which is needed. Because just to remind your audience, a dollar spent on infrastructure yields about $3. Our infrastructure is rated a D plus by the American Association of civil engineers. And even the National Chamber of Commerce says we need to rebuild our infrastructure to revitalize our businesses. I think this is doable. It's a question of how large the bill is going to be. How did we get into this mess? The housing is bad across the board. In California, it's bad. Our homeless situation is really bad bad across the country and in the bigger cities and inner cities in the urban areas. Is it just neglect? I don't, we can't blame everything on Trump, can we? Uh, He's a source of a lot of problems, but a symptom of a lot of problems as well, because the housing stock was not very good under the Obama administration either. They made some changes, but after the first two years, Mitch McConnell tried to shut down what was going on in Congress then and said, we're going to try to make Obama a one-term president. So, That type of partisan gridlock has been poisonous to democracy and, frankly, deadly to the poor. And political figures look at the poor, those without decent housing, and figure they tend to not vote and they don't put money into elections. So their voice becomes marginalized. So we could deal with, uh, let's say, come back to, to public housing. We could deal with this through public expenditure or incentives in the private marketplace or both. And since the poor don't tend to vote in great numbers and don't put money into elections, we're not doing either. It doesn't have to be public or private. And because they lack power, they are marginalized. They want to go further. Think of the last time in the mainstream media, you saw a piece on the public housing problems in the United States. Part of this is out of sight, out of mind, just as it is with, let's say, the problems related to that minimum wage. People working on minimum wage have problems with housing. Most of the poor are working poor. But even on Labor Day, we don't see stories of working people and their challenges because they're on minimum wage. And think if you've ever seen a labor lawyer or a labor organizer talk about the problems of working people on mainstream media. It's been marginalized, and I'm, I'm afraid the problems of housing and lack, lack of housing. How are we going to solve this? I think most of the major changes in this country come from the bottom up, not from the top down. People lead, the leaders will follow. We see it more recently with Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, the Sunrise movement with youth on climate change. And really, it was public pushback with an abolitionist movement, a populist movement, and a progressive movement, a labor movement, and a woman's movement, a civil rights movement. But it all came from the bottom up. And when the public says enough is enough and they organize, the leaders, sooner or later, do get the message. And 
We're going to have to see that. Um, I think some of the churches and some of the progressives uh, are moving on issues of income inequality, on lack of housing, on food insecurity. One in five kids doesn't have food security. I mean, you can say personal responsibility with all my conservative friends, but, you know, kids didn't pick their parents. They didn't pick their schools. They didn't pick their communities. They didn't pick their country. We're the ones making bad choices. And we're the ones who are saying, leave no kid behind, and it's just blather. Or liberty and justice for all, and they know all that is blather. Or do unto the least of these, and they know that's blather as well. So we haven't come through as a country. We say the right things, and, uh, and we haven't had the courage of our convictions. And I think when the public starts to prod on these issues more, uh, we'll get more coverage and it'll become part of the national conversation. Now, I think that's possible, but it's not a slam dunk because we've gone a long time without a movement that's that's been pushing for these issues. Sanders had a voice that was out there for a while. Labor tends to be weak because only 8% of the workers are in unions. Mm-hmm. In South Carolina, it's only 2%. Mm-hmm. So their voice is very faint. Uh, but I, I do think with podcasts like yours, with a wing of the Democratic Party that's more vigorous under Sanders and Warren, uh, that these issues are stirring. Uh, and when the public organizes, that, then we're going to start to see more results. Yeah. It is in our hands. Uh, and uh, I think we do a poor job, if I might digress, in teaching citizenship to students. Yeah. Because it tends to be a dry exercise as opposed to service learning. And I also want to include, I mean, you went after the media because of consolidation and billion-dollar conglomerates with the mainstream media. And if you look at their board of directors, it's a cross-section of corporate and banking America that has never been too concerned with working people. But the church hasn't done much either. And we're seeing some stirrings there. We're seeing some stirrings with labor movements, with student organizing. And uh, I I do think it's quite possible that we see a more broad-based progressive movement that's saying we have to deal with these questions. And that movement ultimately is going to be pushing to reelect new people. You are listening to Gloria Moraga's One-on-One with Mal Hyman, sociology and political science professor at Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina. We are discussing, among other things, the big mess President Trump is leaving the Biden-Harris administration. That transition is expected in just a few weeks. You know, though, I I listen to you and and I think about all of the supporters, all of the Trump supporters, and that includes relatives of mine that live in the Central Valley in California who are Catholic. Their issue, their one issue is abortion and their one issue uh, for supporting Trump through it all is is abortion. I think the church is changing. You know, the Pope has has made some comments about about all of this. But, you know, for me to say to them when we do we do have conversations, what about all the children that are living now that are hungry, that are abused, that uh, nobody seems to even think about or care about, that are homeless, that are cold and and there's nothing being done to help those children at all that are alive today and and not thriving. You listen to right-wing media and they say things like, why are the schools responsible for feeding children? 
you know, that's ridiculous. That was um, said by um, kind of a moderate fellow. There's just a disconnect, and it and it's frightening when you when I on election night when I was watching the returns, how many people support this man who has really just been lining his pockets with money from working class Americans that can ill afford to give money to this man, but they are. It is a cult following. Leaders playing on these fears are seen all over the world, whether it's Hungary or Poland, fear of the other, the outsider, as global economic change rips up jobs, creative destruction, if you want to call it that, the working class tends to look either to government, create opportunity and security, or they tend to blame certain people. And the demagogues are good at blaming those that aren't white Americans uh, for causing the problems. And there's a a disconnect between what the Pope is is saying uh, and what Trump is saying. And in some churches, you know, the sanctity of life doesn't end at birth. And people are more concerned about child poverty and creating equal opportunity in America. So there's a split on social and economic lines in the Catholic Church. And in Latin America, where I've spent time, there is a very heated debate. Faith without works is dead. And people will be saying it very bluntly. And Oftentimes, when the priests are saying it effectively, they come for them in the middle of the night. So the politics is played very differently mm-hmm. from Mexico further south. Yeah, it is. Um, and when I've gone down there to monitor elections, people have talked to me about that. But I want to take your listeners back to an experience I had when I taught in the state prisons back from 77 to 82. Play basketball with the inmates. And afterward, I asked, at what point in your life did you just not give a damn about anything? And typically, they'd say at the age of 10, 11, or 12. Parents weren't reaching them. They gave up on their parents, their school, their community. They didn't believe that life was fair enough that they should try. And they were confused and hurt. Now, they made some bad choices, but we need to be clear that it happens pretty early. And whoever says, don't worry about the kids, I can tell you, I dealt with those kids. And they're just as smart as anybody else. And they're just about as moral as anyone else. But if you put people in despair, they're going to make a lot of bad decisions, especially if there's high crime, drugs in the area, and they've given up on their parents. So I think the studies that show a dollar invested in early childhood education yield seven in return. Mm -hmm. If you're a business person and you don't invest a dollar to get seven, you ought to get out of business. And society needs to look at those types of return and recognize that it'll help all of us, those people, those families, those communities, and we can't build the walls high enough and deep enough to separate our kids from their kids. We need to treat them like we treat our own kids. Well, when I see stories about, oh, they're waste, we're wasting food because we're throwing away the apples or the kids aren't eating the apples, it's like, shut up. The money that's wasted on other programs and we don't want to feed children in school, give me a break. Yeah. So it's like, you know, just I just want to say shut the F, the F up. So that so my reaction to all of this, <laughs> Professor, is more visceral. It's more emotional. I mean, you know, this is not an issue that I can even reason with at times. It's just I just want to scream. But anymore you know, on the radio and even podcasts are predominantly, you know, right wing. 
right wingers or uh, you know staunch Republicans or whatever you want to call them listen. They listen to Rush Limbaugh. They listen to um, these these guys, and they become just crazier every day. Well, you're right. Eisenhower would be a Democrat these days. <laughs> McCain would be a Democrat. Yes. And Reagan would have broken with the party because to not support state and local governments during COVID relief, which is what this group of very radical, insensitive Republicans did, Reagan would have staunchly disagreed with. Agree, totally. I was screaming states' rights, states' rights when they were when they were challenging the election results and states' rights, states' rights with COVID. I don't even know who these people are. It's not anything that's, that I've seen before. And it, and it does remind me of Germany in the 1930s. You're going to get me started. Because this is right out of the playbook. I, I mean, can I digress for a minute sure, on this? Sure, yeah. We, well, we're good. We saw this in Germany and Italy in the 1930s. This is the big lie. <laughs> Constant repetition. I'm talking Fox and talk radio mm-hmm. uh, and Newsmax and, and OAN. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is demonize your enemy. Demonize the media, the enemy of the people, fake news, lamestream media. Mm-hmm. If there's no one to have oversight in the media, you don't have freedom of the press the way that was envisioned with the First Amendment. And the other element of... Uh, Nazi propaganda was constant attack so that the other side is always defending. And we've had an emotional blitzkrieg every day, a number of storylines coming from this administration and from the right-wing media. So this, this is an old playbook. It is still effective. We're looking at if 44,000 votes would have changed in this last election in Wisconsin, Nevada, and Georgia, Trump would have been reelected even after killing 100,000 more people than needed to die in the pandemic and making all the decisions that were anti-democratic, wrecking legislation, walking away from the rest of the world in terms of treaties, he almost got reelected. Right-wing media is as powerful as you're suggesting, and it's created a cult following. Mm -hmm. It has. Can you imagine if Trump was actually as clever as Ted Cruz where we would be? Wow, it's it's scary. I, I mean, I've I've been afraid. <laughs> I've been really afraid, and it's not a it's not a good feeling. We knew if this election was going to be close, people were going to be in the streets. Yes, and Trump still tried to make it seem like the election was stolen. The big lie again, stopped. shaking down his own people, even after he loses thirty seven decisions in the courts to try to say that this election was stolen and the process wasn't fair after gutting the funding from the post office so we'd have problems on the ballots, after working against letting people vote. I mean, th- this is, as you say, it's, it's a scary moment and it's not over yeah. because Trump is still going to be around. If he's not arrested, if he's not prosecuted and arrested, he's going to be in the stadiums again And in the 30s, it was make Germany great again. And we're going to hear some version of that from Trump if he's still out campaigning for the next election. So we won this battle, but we haven't won the war against this very confused crowd of generally nice people. They're just afraid of a lot of things and they get spun and manipulated by their fears. Well, as did the German people. Exactly. And the Italians. Hitler had Goebbels. Who do we have? 
Who's think, the equivalent of Goebbels? Nobody. Well, I think Stephen Miller and Bannon. Bannon on the outside, Miller on the inside. They're kind of the rest. I can't believe Bannon is even still around. Why isn't he in prison? <laughs> I mean, I saw I saw he was making some comments from somewhere, and it's like, why isn't he in jail? Our hope is that the New York Attorney General will go after the Trumps because of their, I, I like this, I love this word, their malfeasance. It's a, it's a hope that they can be prosecuted by a, a state. Right, and that'd be from federal crimes. So the Southern District of New York, as you suggest, state law, mm-hmm. he can't pardon himself from state law. Right, and neither can the, the family. Right. And, they, and there is a lot of shenanigans going on. And in fact, they have, I read that they were, would have been able to prosecute him, but the prosecutor didn't go forward because he, he was unsure whether it would stick. But he's really this a bulldog, apparently, that may do it. Well, I, I think that'd be a great public service when they go forward. <laughs> and goodness knows why we have so many Russians investing in failing golf courses owned by Trump, wow. laundered through Deutsche Bank. I'd sure like to know the story on it. Me too. Because I don't think Russian oligarchs are operating outside of what Putin wants to do. But, I mean, it's it's hard to to read this without having the courts look at it to know better. It really screams out for a Bob Woodward or a younger investigative journalist. Sure does seem fishy that uh, Russia gets a pass on everything from the Trump administration. And even a cyber attack that's lasted for nine months We've conveniently blamed on China, even though the national security advisors say that it was Russia. Yeah, yeah. And how much money has crossed palms with the Trump people and Russia and the rubles? Do they still have rubles? (laughs) (laughs) It's another great word. Rubles. Rubles. So what have we missed? What do we need to talk about before we close off? Climate change is going to be there. Uh, Probably the greatest problem facing humanity. Trump walked away from it. Trump and Putin, great polluters. But more than that, theft from the future, because we're changing our atmosphere. We're reaping what we've sown. The Pentagon back in 2003 said climate change is a greater threat to national security than terrorism. Does it cause mass migration, political instability, more storms, floods, fires, blizzards that are bigger, droughts? The civil war in Syria came about after the worst drought in 900 years. Yeah. And we're still reaping the problems from that. Trump walked away from it. Biden, fortunately, is going to confront it. I think that's a big change, great cause for some some guarded optimism and a great crime against humanity committed by the Trump administration. I just hope that we can win in Georgia. I just think about John Lennon. All we need is love. And we do need to love one another and stop with the the racism and the the bigotry, demonizing Mexicans or demonizing African-Americans or blacks. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. We need more reporters. We need more reporters to do these stories. I would look every day for a story on the children that Trump put in cages and jails on the border. and. Um, You know, it'd be a long time coming before I'd see an update on what was going on with the kids. That kind of thing is happening everywhere right now. Well, let me ask you a question, because this is more, you know, in in your background. Um, Do you see more citizen journalists working 
on podcasts and setting up uh, their own sites for local news in the future as as maybe grounds for uh, some hope. I do. I talked to a friend of mine, Jamie Dupree, in um, Washington, D.C. He's been laid off by Cox Broadcasting. And he says, Gloria, there are enough journalists here in Washington who've been laid off in the last year, we could start our own network. So reporters have been fired, bureaus closed, a tremendous amount of bureaus closed under under Trump. Yeah, we need to enable those those people so that we can uh, so we can get some stories, some stories out, some fair, balanced stories, really fair. But Mr. Bruce, thank you. Thank you, Professor. This Professor Malheiman. Thanks. Um, and let's, I hope that we can do the um, Zoom thing as Good. the year goes on. Let's just try to do a semi-regular. Sure. Okay. Look All forward right. to it. All right. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to Gloria Moraga's One-on-One with Professor Mal Hyman. I'm Gloria Moraga. Please subscribe, download, and share. Happy 2021, everybody. Everybody.